Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. I'm actually recording in a different location, so if it seems a little different to you, it's because it is a little bit different. I will have to see how the sound quality works out. But it doesn't appear that uh, my voice is resonating or kind of modulating off the charts here, so we should be okay. But if there is any adjustments we need to make, I'll make them going forward. Uh, big weekend ahead as uh, you know, the springtime is here. And I told you guys last week that I'm committed to kind of getting all of this stuff around the house done so when football season gets here, I can just enjoy football season. I don't want to look back on this time and say, you know what? I missed a golden opportunity to change a lot of things around the house. So we've done that, ordered some things, changing the way we do some things around here, did a bunch of yard work last weekend. And uh, I tell people all the time, I'm doing really good for an old guy and really bad for a young guy. So I'm somewhere there in the middle. But I don't know how much yard work we'll get done this weekend. I think we did it all last weekend. So I hope you guys are getting caught up as well. There is some uh, some negative news from the world of college athletics I wanted to share with you that might actually be of, uh, of interest to you. I read earlier today, Bowling Green dropping college baseball. Uh, you hate to see it, but at the same time, too, this might be a necessary step in the realignment of major college baseball. Now, number one, you hate it for the coaches and the players because they didn't get a vote in any of that. A lot of young men signed on with Bowling Green, hoping to spend their college careers there, get their college degrees, meet their wives and significant others and move forward and perhaps have a, a future in pro baseball, but at the very least to get their college education and improve their station in life. And now that opportunity is no longer there. What does it mean for the baseball signings this past year? I don't know. I guess they'll get a notice of, a, of release. But who's going to be available at this point? Who's going to have available spots? Because you've got so many rosters right now that are they're being adjusted because of an abbreviated draft. You've got less guys going to the pros. You're going to have less signees drafted. So as a result, many of these rosters are already jammed full. So then you've got Bowling Green, a Division I program that's gotten better in players. They're going to put those guys back into the talent pool. Well, now all of a sudden there's less and less opportunities. And so there are going to be some talented players that are going to be left out. There are going to be some guys that end up going to junior college that are you know, really four-year guys. So JUCO baseball is probably going to be loaded. But go ahead and get ready because Bowling Green will not be the last of these northern G5 schools the drop baseball. Go ahead and get ready. I've reached out to a couple people in college baseball circles that I trust. They share that opinion with me. This is really kind of a, I won't say it's an iceberg. I won't say it's a tip of the iceberg, but this will not be the, the last school that looks to drop baseball. And there are a lot of schools out there that are just kind of playing D1 baseball because they feel an obligation to do so. They're not committed to college baseball. And so what I would like to see happen, as I have mentioned on this show before, is let's go ahead and make 
some unilateral decisions about college baseball and allow the Power Five schools and anybody else, like, you know, let's take, you know, guys like Rice or Cal State Fullerton, you know, schools like that that maybe are in G5 conferences but are somewhat committed to college baseball. The schools that want to fully fund baseball, and when I mean fully fund baseball, I mean let's do something about this archaic 11.7 scholarship nonsense and do something about staffing. Did, did you guys know, I bet you didn't, I, I learned this recently because you know, it's one of those things, you, the longer you live and the more people you talk to, you kind of figure out who to trust. There was a time that Ron Polk had a couple of assistant coaches and then six GAs, six GAs. And look at what you're working with now. So let's let the schools that want to pay for college baseball pay for college baseball. You know, gone are these, you know, listen, the G5 schools that are, you know, that draw 100 people a game, they're the ones that are really holding back the advancement of the college game. They need to have teams. But if they don't want to fund that third assistant coach, they don't have to do that. If they don't want to fund more scholarship dollars, they don't have to do that. So if you wanted to, you know, maybe have like a Division One AA baseball league and say, hey, listen, we're going to have a head coach and then uh, one full-time assistant, a part-time guy that's going to run the camps and, and coach the catchers, and then we're going to have, uh, I don't know, maybe six scholarships that we split up between these guys, and then they'll pay their way and they'll get student loans or whatever, then you can do that. And now that, that sounds you know, completely nonsense for schools like us in the South that are so committed. You think, man, with all that money, they ought to be able to afford more than six scholarships. Some of them might be able to do that. But by and large, you know, you've got many of these schools, you know, like you know, the Monmouths of the world and the Bowling Greens and, you know, those, those schools up in the North that uh, aren't able to schedule many home games and they're not going to have much of attendance. There's no revenue being generated. You know, their, their financial wherewithal is much different than what we enjoy here at Mississippi State. And so why should the Bowling Greens of the world get the same vote that Mississippi State gets? Well, they shouldn't, but that's the way it's structured right now. So I think that's the, what we have to do. I think now is the time to act. Uh, and if John Cohen, if you're listening, I know that you were on the NCAA Baseball Committee so now is the time when all of this is happening and there are so many academic schools out there that are really not committed to athletics. Now is the time to let's go ahead and have the conversation. Let's go ahead and introduce some discussions that may lead to some meaningful legislation down the road that will enable you know, the Mississippi states and Florida states and Old Misses and Alabamas and Auburns and Georgias of the world to live as we should as national baseball powers and say, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay for baseball, and you guys who don't want to don't have to. But this is, again, this is just another step and another casualty of the COVID-19 virus. It's the Bowling Green Baseball Program. But, again, it will not be the last one. Mark my words, it will not be the last one. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show, doing a great job feeding the masses around here in Starville now in Tupelo, you can still get that great family special. You know the one I'm talking about. You get the four Bulldog burgers, four orders of fries, a gallon of sweet tea, $29.95. Man, what a great night off for mom to be able to put a great restaurant-quality hamburger in front of everybody in the family at a discount price. It's great. Not to mention, who in South Mississippi doesn't love sweet tea, right? 
Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas, and on Gloucester Street in Tupelo, Mississippi. Bulldog Burger Company, the place for people in Starkville and now Tupelo, go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's get into a couple other things here. Uh, I just finished up Swing Your Sword this morning. Uh, I'm writing a book, so it's difficult to finish other books and to make time to read. I am not the avid reader that I once was, but I try to read a few books every year. And then I, I just finished Swing Your Sword today, and I went and picked up Geronimo this afternoon before recording the show. So I'll have both of the Mike Leach books uh, done. There's the other book out there, uh, Squib Kick It to a Fat Guy. It's kind of like a kind of anecdotal where they take uh, you know some comments from Coach Leach that he didn't write that book, but uh, he's kind of he's a quotable guy. So somebody compiled a list of memorable quotes. I haven't read that one. I don't know if that'll interest me or not, but, uh, but we'll see. But I got Geronimo, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Swing Your Sword for a minute. I know some of you, it's difficult to make time to read it. And, and when you do, I hope you read books written by yours truly. But uh, I, I wanted to take some time to get to know more about Mike Leach. You know, I was always fascinated by the offenses at Texas Tech. You know, when Michael Crabtree and those guys beat Texas I think we were all watching. And when it happened, it was just one of those surreal moments. And you thought, you know, this really upsets the balance of power in college football. Because you need some mavericks out there like Mike Leach. You, you just don't want the natural order of things. I mean, listen, as much as we hate it, you know, when Ole Miss beat Alabama, it was good for college football. And I hate to give them credit for anything, but it was good to see things kind of shaken up. When Mississippi State goes to number one in the country in 2014, it's good for the game. People like Mike Leach are good for the game of football because he does things that traditional folks don't do. And so I wanted to kind of unwrap the onion a little bit, see what you know, what's this guy all about. And I read that book, and I'll tell you the better parts of it. I'll give it. I won't, I'll give you a brief summary here. How he kind of got into coaching and coaching, you know, you know, little league baseball and part of league baseball and that sort of stuff as a teenager is fascinating. It really is because his dad was the coach on paper, but Mike was the coach on the field. He understood it, and he wasn't a great athlete, but he was the guy that looked at athlete, athletics and it made sense to him. But he didn't just go by you know the things that are traditional in our constitution of sport. He looked at it and said, okay, well, what if we did this? Would that work? Because it's really about getting guys on base and around the score and that sort of stuff. And he worked on the mental aspect of it. And he worked on uh, the mental reps. And one of the things that they did is they did, uh, they used to take infield without a baseball. It was like a ghost ball. And so they would get there and they'd fake it and hit the ball. Because he said that they were so bad throwing the ball around that he felt like if they made a bunch of errors in pregame, that it would carry over to the game. But on the other side of it, they began to kind of get more demonstrative when they had the ghost baseball. They'd make diving catches and diving stops and put forth more effort, and it made them feel better about themselves, and they went out there and played above their heads. I don't know a lot of people that would think in those terms. I wrote a story a while back about, uh, about Kronk, Joe, Joe Kronk, who was one of his players. He wasn't a great player. He was one of the worst players on the team. He only got a handful of hits in his entire life. And that year, there he was coming up in the playoffs with his spot in the order with the time run on base. And what does he do? He hits a triple to drive in the time run. And then Mike's brother drove him in next to win the game. 
it changed the guy's life. The guy ends up going on and being a professional cowboy for a while. He got involved in a lot of other things. He's been a successful businessman. And he said that he drew a lot of confidence from the fact that Mike Leach let him hit with the game on the line as the worst hitter in the lineup. And Mike even says in the book, I could have pulled him, but it would have crushed him. And that is kind of a consistent theme throughout the book. Not that Mike Leach is a little league coach that is trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but he is very much a player's coach. He will hold them accountable. He will hold them to a standard. He will provide them with instruction uh, and information to help them be successful because he loves them. He wants them to do a good job because he went out and signed them and recruited them and made a promise to their families. And part of that promise, to fulfill that promise, is making sure that they're held to a standard. Well, he does that. And people would say, well, that's tough love. No, it's really not. That's coaching. If you've got coaches out there that are always constantly telling you how great you are when you're terrible, you've got a terrible coach. Nobody gets better when they're being lied to, ever. Honesty. Honesty means everything. And that's what Mike Leach is. And you can see it consistently throughout his career. When he was at Kentucky, when he was at Valdosta State, when he was uh, at Oklahoma, it is about honesty, being honest with your players, honest with yourself, and uh, looking at things through a little different lens. And I think this is what Mississippi State fans can look forward to, is having a guy to look at what we have and say, okay, this is how we sell it. And listen, we've done a good job doing that in the past. I'm not sitting here trying to poor mouth Mississippi State. I love Mississippi State. But he made a comment that I thought was great, and he meant it a couple times, and even again in the epilogue, that he is attracted to coaches and players that have maybe had to be successful by overcoming obstacles and hurdles and maybe not having as much at their disposal from a resource standpoint and then still being successful. As he says, you know, it doesn't matter. What, what does it mean if we have all the best resources and get mediocre results? There are a lot of people that are having mediocre res, uh, resources that get great results because they just they don't accept their lot in, in life and say, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to do better than this. We're going to out, we're going to out outperform our expectations because we're committed to each other, and you can see everywhere he went, he really built a family. He talks about hiring Dave Emmerich when he got to Washington State, how he trusted Dave, and that's true today. You know, he's one of those guys that's very integral in the Mississippi State football family now. One of the best parts of the book, and one of the things I was most eager to read about was the Craig James and Adam James fiasco. That was the thing that ultimately led to Mike Leach being fired at Texas Tech. It was a matter that was tied up in the courts for a long time. And I don't believe Mike Leach ever got his money that he was owed from Texas Tech. And reading these documents, there are several documents in the appendices of this book, and it shows you that these people were out to get Mike. Long before... Adam James lied and said he had been locked in an electrical closet long before that ever happened. Long before that was ever alleged, there were the powers that be at Texas Tech were, were conspiring against Mike Leach. And that's not just his opinion. You can read the actual emails between the, the Board of Regents and the Chancellor and the President and the Athletic Director and everybody involved. You can see that they were trying to find a way to get out from under an $800,000 contract completion bonus they were going to be on the hook for at the end of the year. So they begin to kind of scramble. When this Adam James nonsense kind of came to, uh, to the national conversation, 
that was just a convenient excuse for the folks at Texas Tech. You know, one of the things they mentioned was, uh, you know, now TCU, you know, look, looking at everything that happened at TCU and the fact that it was such a value that TCU had Gary Patterson inked up to an extension for about half of what they were paying Mike Leach. They thought they could do better by paying less. They thought we can get comparable results with paying a coach a lower salary with paying Mike Leach. And they talked about you know they were Art Bryles. They had this fascination with Art Bryles. They wouldn't have been able to get him because of the five million dollar buyout. And so you can read some red stuff for yourself. And of course, Leach explains it throughout the chapter. You know, I think it's called the power play. He talks a little bit about that sort of stuff. And uh, it really gives you one of those negative views of a guy like Craig James and Joe Shad and all those weasels that were working for ESPN at the time. Uh, and I've got a Joe Shad story I'll share for you a little bit later. But um, they were basically just putting things out there. It was a false narrative. And so Craig James, people forget, Craig James used to be very, very involved with ESPN. Look at where he is today. You know, I mean, Joe Shad was very involved. At some point, Joe Shad was considered one of the elite college football writers in America. Now he's working covering the Miami Dolphins on the beat like everybody else. And so some of these people that were involved in this, uh, you know, in this plot to get Leach, you know, their, their careers have kind of waned a little bit. But, uh, you know, Joe Shad was out there just kind of regurgitating the talking points that uh, Craig James and others were giving him. And what they were saying was untrue. Texas Tech uh, was also kind of the victims, and I guess kind of really not victims, maybe co-conspirators, with a um, PR firm that was hired by Craig James. And it's, it, you begin to think about this, this whole Craig James thing, this book paints him as basically a little league coach on steroids. And uh, he had called Lincoln Riley because he was upset that his son Adam wasn't getting more playing time. And basically ripped him a new one, used the profanity and that sort of stuff. And then uh, when he was first asked about it in his deposition, they asked him to repeat the nature of the call. And he says, well, I left a message for him to call me. I wanted to talk to him. And, of course, they get a little bit deeper into it. But there are so many people that acted inappropriately and were basically enemies of progress at Texas Tech. Adam, Adam James was a walked on at Texas Tech. He got to get flushed out of their baseball program. And then uh, they tried to say, well, he, they forced him to play before he was ready because he had a concussion. And then they locked him in an electrical closet when he complained. And then he, under oath, said that neither of those things was true. But that's not how ESPN painted it. That's not how they painted it. And so basically, this PR firm is out there uh, kind of pushing the narrative. And uh, by their own admission and in their inner office emails that were later part of Discovery and are published in this book, they were going out on message boards and on these newspaper comment sections, and they were working in concert to lie and conspire against Mike Leach. They were working out there to push the narrative about concussions and how Adam James was the victim of, of, uh, of a coach that was out of, out of control. Guys, Adam James played a handful of plays as a special teamer every game, if he played at all. Not to mention Texas Tech sat their quarterback out for half a year that year to do concussion protocol. Do you think they're going to jeopardize their, their wherewithal and their standing in the community and their ability to coach football over a walk-on kid that plays special, a walk-on wide receiver? And I'm sure there was one of those things, too. 
that Craig James' personality and his persona and the fact that he was a great player at SMU probably got that kid an opportunity to play at Texas Tech. Those are the things that I began to think about. You know, Craig James' kid wasn't good enough to get a scholarship somewhere, so he gets a walk-on opportunity. Not that Craig James probably needed uh, to save on scholarship money. I'm not trying to suggest that at all. But the only reason that Adam James had an opportunity to play at Texas Tech is because he was Craig James' son. And then when he didn't play enough, then it became this whole issue, well, you know, well what are we going to do? So we cuss out Lincoln Riley. We call and we get on the coaching staff. And, and I thought it was great. After Lincoln Riley got the uh, message from Craig James, Leach called in uh, Adam James and sat him down and said, hey, listen, you know, if, if we cared about what your dad thought, we would have him in the meetings. And, when I, and I, when I read that, I thought, you know what, this is a guy after my own heart. That's exactly how it should be. And he told Adam James, if we get another message from your dad like this, we're going to play it for the entire team. Now, of course, Adam James has no control over his dad. But every dad out there knows if your kid called you and said, hey, dad, you need to lay off a little bit. They're, the next time that you call an active idiot, they're going to play this call in front of the entire team. And I'm the one that's going to pay for that. As a dad, you're going to leave all that alone. So I thought what Leach suggested was absolutely genius. And then, of course, Adam James then uh, goes into the electrical closet and texts his dad and says, hey, you're going to love this. And it's, but if you got to read it for yourself, there's so much more details. I'm kind of, you know, kind of glazing over this thing. But it was, you got to see behind the scenes, you know, kind of hear Mike Leach's take on all this. And then you see the documents and you realize that the facts support Mike Leach's assertions in this case. That they, Craig James was provided basically a convenient excuse for Texas Tech to withhold monies owed to Mike Leach. And so kind of flash forward a little bit. So knowing what happened at Texas Tech, then you kind of get an idea of how difficult it was for Mike Leach to leave Washington State to come to Mississippi State, which I think, again, shows what a great job John Cohen, Charlie Whitfield, Jared Banco, everybody involved with that negotiation. It goes to show you what a great job they did because if, you, if you're Mike Leach, and you get to somewhere like Washington State, you're beginning to get things going the way you want them to. You're winning regularly, you're going to bowl games, you're competing. But more importantly, you're surrounded by people that you trust. These people at Washington State are not gonna try to screw me out of the money that I've earned. If I stay here for another 10 years, they'll probably build a statue of me out in front of the football stadium. And so knowing that, knowing that Leach had endured the nonsense at Texas Tech and had found a new home in Washington State, it shows again how almost improbable it was to get Mike Leach to leave Washington State to come here to Mississippi State. Reading that book, to me, really kind of underscores the things that Mike Leach has been through, not just what he's done as a football coach and what an innovative mind he is, but it also shows you know, the personal things he's had to endure uh, from some administrators out there that were looking to save a buck or two. And then you, you talk to these folks now that are now Mississippi State's coaches, you, you speak with them and you ask them about Washington State, and man, they love it. They loved it there. They loved the people there. Uh, I had one Mississippi State coach tell me that Washington State 
might be the most beautiful part of our country he's ever seen. The schools were great. The people were great. The community was great. Washington State, a lot of similarities to Mississippi State. They don't have the resources we have, but uh, it's very much a community-based deal. But you get it. I mean, you know, that's the bottom line. Is I think when you read it, you, you kind of understand now what a big deal it is that we have him here. And I, I, I've asked him recently, I said, hey, do you have another book in you? Because, you know, he's written to, he wrote Geronimo. And I'm looking forward to starting that. I mean, when we were all kids. I mean, we grew up watching, you know, the Cowboys and Indians on, uh, on TV. You know, Roy Rogers was the greatest, you know. And so we were all fascinated with the American Indian. And uh, I've got some, some Choctaw in my family. And uh, my kids have some Choctaw in their heritage. And so I have always been fascinated by the American Indian. I'm looking forward to reading that. Geronimo, of course, uh, one of the greatest Indian warriors of all time. I don't know if you know this. Mike Leach actually owns Geronimo's birth certificate. That's how big a fan he is of Geronimo. And that kind of stuff's intriguing to me, too. And so I'm looking forward to reading that. You can go find uh, Swing Your Sword at several places, but I know that you can get it downtown right now. You can go to Bookmark Cafe right here in downtown Starville and go get that. And I was down there earlier getting my copy of Geronimo, and I saw they only got a couple of copies of Stark Villains left, so we'll be having to make sure they get some more. But uh, you can get Flim Flam there. You can get Stark Villains there. And if, if you're looking to order my books, you can do so at StarkVillainsTheBook.com. Uh, but let me encourage you. If you want to get to know kind of what makes Mike Leach tick a little bit, read Swing Your Sword. I think it's interesting, too, when the, the things that his path to head coaching is rather interesting. You know, when the, the guy gets a law degree and then elects to go get a job that's basically uh, below the poverty line just because he believed in coaching. And so it's great. So go read it. Uh, I think that you'll enjoy it. It's uh, Listen, it, it, it's not going to have, you know, the key to life in it or anything, but uh, – there's a lot of good phrases in there, and you kind of catch up with, uh, you know, Mike's feelings about accountability and about a team being accountable to each other and that sort of stuff. And it's not this, uh, you know, wild and crazy deal that a lot of people make it out to be. There are a lot of people, you know, Mike is colorful enough on his own. We don't need to do any more or less to kind of make him uh, seem more or less than what he is. A lot of people try to make him out to be some kind of cartoon character, but when you read this book, you get an idea that he's really just kind of an old school football coach that believes in, you know, you put the team first and you work hard. And if you don't, you don't get to play. Uh, but yeah, I think I have enjoyed it. I think you guys will as well. Again, that's a swing your sword by coach Mike Leach. Uh, Bruce Feldman, of course, helped out a little bit, not a big Bruce Feldman fan, uh, but I understand, you know, Mike Leach, this is Mike Leach's story. If he carried, the, did, did the heavy lifting here. I remind you guys too, our friends at Hawthorne are back. I have so many people that have asked me, Steve, uh, what did you really think about the Hawthorne products? And I would tell them they would try them for themselves because there's never been anybody that says, hey, listen, here's how you buy cologne. Let me encourage you, visit their website, hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co. The best cologne that I have ever worn. I would not have renewed an advertising agreement with them if I didn't support the products. I'm telling you, these guys are great. Go take the quiz. Go take the quiz. You enter your preferences, and then they'll send you some cologne. And you can do more than that. You can get the entire symphony of scent. You get the body wash. You get the shampoo, the conditioner. You get the lotion. Uh, you can you get the deodorant. You can get it all. I have it all. I use it all. I can't wait 
absolutely cannot wait to get my playset cologne back because I dropped the bottle on our ceramic tile and I shattered the bottle. So I've been having to wear the work center every day. Maybe that's why I'm getting so much work done on this book and work done around the house because it's been all work and no play. Be that as it may, you should visit hawthorne.co and I'm going to give you a little incentive to do so, save you a little cash. Go to hawthorne.co, hit promo code boneyard. That'll save you a little money off your very first shipment. You can set up replenishing shipments, which I think you will. But just to try it out, give them an opportunity. And ladies, I'm telling you, you may have to take matters into your own hands. Your man will never smell better than, than when he has his Hawthorne product on him. So again, it's hawthorne.co, promo code boneyard. All right, so let's get into today's top 10 list. I have had more suggestions for top 10 lists this week than at any point since I started doing them. And so we're going to go music this time. We went football, and I'll tell you, the football top 10 list, the hard hitters, I owe a, uh, an apology to my fellow Marion County and Jonathan Abram. I should have had Jonathan Abram on the list, and I didn't. And sometimes I kind of go out of my way. Sometimes I'm a bit of a hipster in respect that I don't want to get caught up in recency bias. You know what I'm saying? And so, John, I'm sorry. You know that I love you, even though you went to East Marion High School and you did beat Columbia High School. You did beat us. And now you're a first-round draft pick. But you know that I love you, love your family, and uh, I, I apologize for not giving you your proper respect. So this list I don't think will be nearly as personal for many people. That said, today comes from Will Burford. Will Burford out of Starkville, Mississippi, another one of you that is uh, married or dated above his head, Will. Good looking out. Will says, hey, Steve, how about a top ten list of ACDC songs? My favorite is Who Made Who. Well, Will, we're going to do it today. However, Who Made Who is probably not in my top 25. I like it. Because I like a lot of the ACDC catalog. I, to be honest with you, I like a lot more of the Bon Scott stuff than some of the Brian Johnson stuff, to be honest with you. Even though I think ACDC really found another gear, one of the only bands that's been really to kind of stay together and have really two different careers with two singers. Because a lot of times when you lose your singer, you lose your identity as a band, as an artist. ACDC might have actually become a better band after Bon Scott's Untimely Death. But here, so I'm gonna give a couple of shout outs, a couple of honorable mentions here, because I don't know that I could put just 10 ACDC songs together, you know, without, uh, you know, adding a few more in here. As I'm saying that, I'm thinking of a couple more that, that, I, that I missed on, that I didn't mention, like Mistress for Christmas. Yeah, it's a great one there too. Recently covered by Hailstorm. So here's some honorable mentions, TNT. That's kind of a legendary song, but it falls outside of my top ten. Uh, what do you do for money, honey? The girls got rhythm. All of that stuff. Great rock, true to its source. So those are your honorable mentions. Here's my top ten, though, and my top ten is going to be different from yours, I'm sure. You know, some of us find these classic rock bands at different points in our lives, and certain songs kind of resonate more at different times. So, uh, so here is my top 10. You will have your own top 10. Your top 10 will be incorrect. Mine is 100% correct. This is the definitive list of ACDC songs. And I know I'm going to forget something and somebody's going to message me and I'm going to be like, I can't believe I missed it. 
Number 10 on my list is Money Talks. And that was really kind of a comeback for them. That really introduced them to my generation with the Brian Johnson lineup. We'd all heard back in black and all that sort of stuff. But when Money Talks came on, that's when the MTV generation really kind of got behind ACDC. Number nine on the list, Hell's Bells. And we've heard it at Davis Wade, and I hope we hear it from now on. That it's a rock song that uh, kind of typifies Mississippi State. Number eight, I've already mentioned it, Highway to Hell. Crazy album cover, crazy good album. Uh, it's a classic rock song. My friends are going to be there too. Number seven, also off that Money Talks album, Thunderstruck. You hear that everywhere because of that opening riff, and then everybody kind of chants along with it. It's, it, it's great for crowds. Another modern-day hit for them. And probably the last one that I'll mention on my list. I'll go a little deeper in the catalog. Number six for me, and I know it's going to be number one for many of you sheep out there, all you people, that, you know, all you Nirvana fans and Green Day fans, you'll say, well, I can't believe you didn't have this number one. Well, you're wrong. There are better songs than this. Number six for me is You Shook Me All Night Long. Yes, go ahead and boo and hiss and curse and look at your thought and say, Steve, are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. You Shook Me All Night Long is a rock standard, but it is not the best ACDC song. I like the video better than the song. Number five, going back to the Bon Scott days, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Great, great song. So many great lyrics in that song, just about life on the road. And, and it's kind of a cautionary tale for those people who want to get involved in, in rock and roll. But uh, man, what a great song, great opening riffs. That to me, Angus Young is ACDC. We get so caught up in singers, but Angus Young, and uh, you know, those, he is the riff master, man, he really is. He's not one of these uh, Ingvay Malmsteen, Steve Bad, Joe Satriani speed demons on the fretboard. But he is a guy that can always find the rhythm. I mean, an absolute great twos and fours rhythm. Number four on my list, the comeback track, Back in Black. I don't know how anybody, how anybody in the world couldn't like Back in Black, especially if you know the ACDC story. And they come back, and it's basically a tribute album to Bon Scott. But Brian Johnson from the opening, opening line, just rips your head off. Number three, Dirty Deeds, Not Dirt Chief. Lyrically, one of the best songs in the history of the band. A lot of good, clever writing in that song. I thought Bon Scott's delivery was great. But again, it's about the music, man. It's one of those songs, you know it, and as soon as you hear the opening riffs, you know, you know exactly where we are. Number two, and every time that I go to a rock show, Every time that I go to some big arena, they always play this. They always play this in between bands. And there are some times when I'm riding around by myself and I'll crank it up a little bit and I'll, I'll experience that moment all by myself. That's for those about the rock, we salute you. I don't know how anybody, and there can't be a red-blooded American that doesn't like that song. It is one of those anthemic tracks of our youth. But the number one, now people think if people are doing the math, right? You're thinking, oh my gosh, what's he going to go with number one here? What's he going to do with number one? My favorite ACDC song of all time 
is Shoot a Thrill. I think that is, without a doubt, the quintessential ACDC song. Some people will disagree, and that's fine. You can be wrong. This is America. You have the right to be wrong, and many of you exercise it regularly. Shoot the Thrill, to me, that is the one. I, like If I had to ever pick an ACDC song and say, Steve, you can only hear one the rest of your life. That's the one. The only problem that I've got with Shoot the Thrill is it's not long enough. ACDC, a great Australian rock band. Some people get confused and uh, think they're not. They are from Australia. And uh, a lot of talk, Brian Johnson will cut their album. You know? And uh, those guys are getting older, not touring nearly as much. So uh, let's appreciate them while we have them. ACDC, top 10. Will Burford, thanks so much for the suggestion. You guys send me your suggestions for top 10s, and I might get to them. I'm getting more sometimes than I can do. But uh, if you send me a good one like this, or like the one about the top 10 hitters, the biggest hitters in Mississippi State football, I can sink my teeth into that. And so we'll share it here with you. So again, thanks so much, Will. Thanks for listening. And uh, thanks so much for, uh, for your sharing of top 10 suggestion. Campus Bookmark, longtime sponsors of this show. Love those guys, man. I tell you what, I'll be glad to be, see Stan, man. I, Stan and I emailed a little bit earlier this month. And, uh, man, I miss that guy, man. I, I do. I mean, that's one thing about doing business in Starkville is it's not just a relationship with a business. It is a relationship with people. And if you go to Campus Bookmark, Kathy Brown and lovely Townsend Susie and, and Stan Ray, they have been there. They are institutions, man. And, and Miss Kathy Brown recently celebrated a birthday. I won't tell you how old she is. I'll let, let her tell you that. But she is much younger than her birth certificate would indicate. So, Say hello to them. Go by, see them. Let them know that uh, that you're a fan of Campus Bookmark. You can order online if you can't make it to town, which we encourage you to do. So online shopping is the best. We get something delivered here every day. Go to campusbookmark.net and use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll save you shipping on all orders over fifty bucks. Any order less than fifty bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, Campus Bookmark. A Starkvillian institution. I've had some great book signings there. Matter of fact, I met Rafael Palmero there a while back. Rafi got our picture, and that's when we first agreed to have him in the new book. He and Lynn, the lovely Lynn Palmero, came in, and they're two boys, and they're they're here for homecoming, and they come by, and we had the book signing, and, and they got a book, and I was talking to Rafi. I said, listen, man, I got to get you in this next book. And he goes, yeah, sure. It gives me a cell number. And then I texted him a few weeks later and he didn't respond. And I thought, well, maybe this is how it's going to go. I texted him back and said, hey, listen, this is what I want to do. I love Mississippi State. I would never do or say anything negative to her Mississippi State or her Rafael Palmero. You're our guy. I just want to tell your story. I don't even care about pro baseball. I just want to talk about your experiences here at Mississippi State. He goes, he, about an hour later, he texts him back and he goes, hey, let's do it tomorrow afternoon. We did. He could not have been more gracious with his time, man. I mentioned this on the show a couple days ago about how much, uh, what it meant to me, man, because Rafi's our guy. I mean, he is. Rafael Palmero is Mississippi State baseball. And, uh, and you know, I'll never be convinced of the negative things are said about him. I don't care. Call me a homer, whatever you want. Or Pollyanna, I don't, that's fine. Whatever. I don't believe it. But uh, there's so many great Bulldogs. And I wrote about one earlier this week. I started this weekly column over on Gene's page called Diamond Dog Tales. And the second one... When I wrote about Mike Kelly a few weeks back, I said, you know what? I need to write about these because I uncover so many things, and I learn as we go. 
you know, I'm coming up on 50. I shouldn't say that. I still got a couple of years before I get there, but I'm coming up on 50 years old and I am still learning and I am still gathering information about the diamond dogs and football players and basketball players that came before I was ever born. And the more that I learned this stuff, I am fascinated about how great we have been in baseball, you know, from since the turn of the century. I mean, we, since the beginning, since we started throwing a baseball around and swinging a bat here in Starkville, Mississippi, we have been good. And uh, I, I wrote about Alex Grandmas, and I was so touched, man, when I read that story. Uh, I wrote that story, pardon me. I, I, I found everything that I could possibly find, read everything I could find about him. Uh, he hit 12 home runs as a Major League Baseball player, played 10 years, three different teams, kind of bounced back and forth with the Cardinals a couple times. Ended his career with the Cubs. His final home run was in 1960 against the Dodgers, and he hit a home run to tie the game off of one of the greatest pitchers of all time, Sandy Koufax. And so when you begin to think about with our Bulldogs, our Diamond Dogs, when you look at the fact that, you know, you know, Coach Paul Gregory struck out Babe Ruth, had a win at Yankee Stadium against that famed Yankee lineup. You know, you begin to think there are a lot of guys that give us a lot of great memories, but what happens after they leave us? And so Alex Grammas died in 2019. He retired from baseball in 1991 and spent over 40 years in the major leagues as a player or coach. Won a World Series in 75 with the Big Red Machine with Sparky Anderson, reunited later in his career after a step as the, the, the manager of the uh, Milwaukee Brewers reconnected in Detroit, won the 84 World Series in Sparky. Uh, I've read so many articles, and even Dan Petrie, Petri legendary Tiger pitcher, says that Alex Gramas, they called him Greek. That was Sparky's nickname for him, Greek, because he was, he was from a Greek family. But Dan Petrie said that Alex Gramas, former Mississippi State baseball player, third baseman Alex Gramas, was Sparky Anderson's right-hand guy. And those are the things that make me proud. There's a guy like Alex Gramas, the guy that came to Mississippi State after after serving our country in World War II. He and his brother Pete enrolled at Mississippi State and played here for three years and won a pair of SEC championships and was part of our first ever NCAA tournament team. And if that is not worthy of your respect, I don't know what is. And so I'm writing this stuff and I'm documenting this stuff and I'm sharing it with a new generation of Bulldog fans because I don't want those stories and personalities to fall into obscurity. They've done it long enough in my lifetime. I'm, I am learning about coaches and players that people have never shared with me. So I feel I'm going to use the platform that I have to educate as many of our fans as I possibly can about some of those great diamond dogs that have come before us. I spoke earlier today with uh, Mississippi State defensive coordinator, Zach Arnett. Zach is in start. Well, that's one of the things a lot of people wonder. Where are all our coaches? You know, and, and some of them have uh, have been other places, but uh, most of them are here. This has not been vacation time for them. They many of them have just been sitting around waiting for us to kind of get back on campus. But uh, they're still doing their Zoom calls. They're still doing all those things that uh, they need to do and have to do. But uh, speaking with Zach, he's one of those guys that you know, he is uh, probably born to play football. You know, he was one of those people that. Uh, born with a defensive roughhousing mentality and went and played in New Mexico as a linebacker for Rocky Long. And as soon as all that was over, he, he, you know, he went to coach for Rocky Long. 
one of the, the greatest defensive minds in the game, in the modern game, and also a guy, too, that learned from Joe Lee Dunn. He learned the nuances in 3-3-5, took it to San Diego State, uh, and then had it in Mexico. And then Arnett plays and coaches in this game and then brings and asks him, I said, hey, if you put your own spin on this thing yet, or is that something that's still kind of under development? He goes, no. He goes, you know, a lot of people get caught up in all that. You know, he said, the scheme is the, the scheme. And uh, he goes, listen, nobody's paying to watch any of us coach. They're paying to watch those kids play football. They're paying to watch the kids go play. And it's not about coaches. Players are the one who win games. And I think maybe that's coming from his own background of being a player. But now that he's on this side of it, listen, you can have the best game plan in the world, but if your players don't go out and make plays and execute the game plan, you've wasted a lot of time and effort. Uh, and so, again, the more that I talk to these coaches, the more convinced I am that we have the absolute right fit. There's so many people out there that, that don't know who Mike Leach is. They think they do because they've, they've seen a, you know, they've seen a, you know, a soundbite or they've seen a, a YouTube clip or something about a joke that he told. That's only part of who Mike Leach is. And he has surrounded himself with some very committed coaches, many of them that we speak to regularly. These guys are chomping the bit to get back and, and get this thing going. Uh, I believe that, you know, we're going to make up for some lost time. And I've had several people ask me on the radio the last couple of weeks, how big of a disadvantage do you feel like it is for Mississippi State, the fact that you've got a brand new coaching staff in? And it is without a doubt a disadvantage. That said, what I continue to hear, especially about the offensive side of the football, is it's not going to have the ramp-up part that some other schools are going to have to deal with. There's some other people – their systems are a little more sophisticated, requires a little more thinking, requires a little more uh, study than perhaps the Mike Leach offense because there's so much of that we do on the fly. So we're going to need reps. We're going to need KJ Costello to get here and get to know his receivers. But as far as implementing the offense, that's not going to be an, an issue. The defensive side of things it is going to be a little more different. You know, communications can be big. But defense is defense. Once you can get everybody lined up right and everybody knows their keys, and, the, and you're able to work on some of that now through all these Zoom calls and things like that, but there's only so much of that you can teach. At some point, you got to get on the field. At some point, you got to get out there and rep this thing out. But that's really more of what I worry about, not the offense. I worry more about defensive execution, and that's not an indictment on Zach Garnett. It's just the fact that this – is in many respects kind of a, a new system. The secondary, not so much. Because many of them, you know, we basically run a 3-4 with some 4-3 principles, but we've run a lot of nickel defense. This is just going to be really a, a bigger difference alignment-wise in the front seven. So we'll see how that all kind of comes together. Uh, but I'm excited about it. And the more times that I talk to the coaches, you know, in the beginning there was a lot of frustration. I think now it's really more about let's get going. Let's get going. And there's a lot of discussion that the, the SEC presidents are going to vote sooner rather than later about what players return to camp. There is uh, going to be a vote. Do they show up June 1st, June 15th? It's going to be big when we do it. There's going to be some precautions, obviously. And, and you know, I, I've read some things online, you know, about some people. There are some people, again, they're going to be critical no matter what we do, what we say, or how we kind of roll things out. There are going to be some people that we're going to drag kick, kicking and screaming into the future, 
but some people said, you know, well, all those players don't need to be working out. They don't need to be together, whatever. Well, they're working out now. Wouldn't it be better if they had the opportunity to work out on campus with medical professionals and trainers around them all the time to kind of monitor their health and their progress? Because at least, you know, when you're in this environment, you know, within, let's just say it's a closed environment just with the Mississippi State players or whatever. It's much different than having 105 players go to their neighborhood gym and expose themselves to who knows who coming in each and every day. And so, if anything, they're going to be safer here. We're going to play football. That, that needs to go ahead and be established in people's minds. We're going to play football. And there are a lot of people out there that almost feel like they're rooting for the virus. It's like, oh, we're not going to play football, and we're about to cancel basketball, and the kids aren't going to be able to go to school. And then every time they do these things and say these things, it creates more hysteria and an annoyance to the people around them, right? Mississippi State comes out and says, hey, we plan to have in-classroom instruction. And then if you go look at the comments on Twitter, it's incredible people that have no say at Mississippi State, no vested interest in Mississippi State, are some of the people that are most critical. I guess these people just troll through Twitter looking for people to complain at and gripe at. And it's one of those things that drives me nuts, and I don't want to get political here. But there's so many people, let's say that our, our previous president, Barack Obama, tweets out something, or Donald Trump tweets out something, or Bill Clinton tweets out something, or whatever. There's always these people, they go and engage, and they have this gnashing of teeth, and uh, they tweet at these people, and some people do it each and every day. And some people that I used to think were highly intelligent. But what do you think that accomplishes by going and trolling these public figures online? That, that, that's nothing. It doesn't make you an activist. It doesn't make you an agent for change. It makes you an idiot. Stop doing that. Stop. Do you really think Mississippi State is going to say, Sid Salter, Mark Keenum, are going to look, they're going to say, you know what? Hey, let's plan to open up for the fall under the advice of our medical experts. And then all of a sudden, they're going to read some Joe Blow on Twitter that says, hey, you guys are idiots. And all of a sudden, Dr. Kim's going to say, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute now. Our medical professional said this, but this guy, this guy with a, you know, with, you know, a Superman logo uh, says we shouldn't do it. Maybe we should rethink our position here. Stop doing that. It's stupid. It's a waste of everybody's time. It just irritates everybody else. It accomplishes absolutely nothing. Well, that rant's over. Looking forward to being back with you guys on Monday. I got a lot planned this weekend. I really do. I'm going to have to probably find some uh, some other time to sleep. I got a lot going on. Working on the book. Finished up the Eric Maltz chapter yesterday. Uh, got a couple more things I'll get to next week. Let me, let me just look here. Let me look here so I can tell you. So what we got kind of what we're cranking up here. I've got. Um, a lot of these things I got to get through. So this weekend I will write about the 1963 SEC Men's Championship and the game of change. Babe McCarthy, Bill Anderton, that group, Red Stroud, write about that. And then next week we'll open the week writing about Jerry Norwood and his recruitment and the 2005 Egg Bowl. How about that? So we've got about, uh, I think, seven chapters left to rough out. Then we'll be the editing process in June. Then we're going to push this thing off the print, guys. And so um, the plan was to be finished writing by the end of May. And I got two weeks left. 
and uh, seven chapters to write. I've been trying this this month. I committed myself to knock out three a week. Once I get through this weekend, I'll have six left. So you got it, three a week. For the remainder two weeks, and then we're done. And I'm going to squeeze in a beach trip in there too, somewhere. But uh, we're going to get these things done, and then we're going to get a book out to you. And again, you can go get Flim Flam and the the first Stark Billings book at StarkBillingsTheBook.com. We're not going to change the website to pre-order the second book. We're not going to do that. We're going to just go ahead and just kind of keep this website from now on. So look forward to you guys being with me. And I'll tell you, I went by and bought that book downtown at Bookmark Cafe from Miss Carol. And it was good to see her. It's good to be back around books. And uh, it's good to see some sense of normalcy. But listen, kids, be careful out there. Don't get all reckless and get loose and fast and say, you know what, I don't need to take care of myself. You do. We want you to be here and have you all in cowbell ring and shape come fall. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.